The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the stocks discussed. Welcome to Stock Take. My name is Goro Sodi. Joining me today are analysts uh, James Carlyle. Hey, James. Good morning. And uh, Graham Whitcomb from Vancouver is with us also. Hey, Graham. Hi, Goro. Gentlemen, let's get straight into it. Uh, Graham, you wrote an interesting piece on Life360, a business I've heard a little bit about, but I must admit I'm not familiar with it uh, very much. Um, I haven't actually read your piece yet. Uh, it only went up um, the, a couple of hours before we re- re- recording this. By couple, I mean like 25 or so, so I haven't got to do it yet. <laughs> but um, this is a good chance since I've got you for uh, a, a little while. Can you explain why the interest in Life360? What surprised me was that I think I usually know what kind of business each of the analysts is interested in and what they're going to be drawn to. And this was not one I expected to hear um, from you about. So what was it about the business that that you thought was interesting? And um, perhaps uh, you can uh, enlighten me about what it does again. Uh, the reason for covering it was it was recommended to me, um, by our boss. <laughs> uh, was it nothing? I oh, wouldn't okay. have probably naturally gone for it, but it was an well, interesting company. Mickey was looking at it last year, wasn't he? So, um, and I don't know, I think that that's... I never of, heard about it from, from Mickey. Uh, I know... was, he was, yeah, I mean, look, I had a few conversations with him about it. We were sort of, um, tossing it around and I suppose that was somewhat unresolved. And so I think that might be why it ended up getting kicked over the year. Yeah, I think that it is one of those businesses that seems to get a lot of differing opinions. Uh, there's definitely a camp that think of it as the high-tech growth stock. It's our next Google or something like that. Uh, and there's another <laughs> camp which is more uh, that it's just, uh, I, I mentioned this in the article, this idea that it's just a feature. It's not really a standalone company. It's eventually mm. going to be bought out or fade away or it's just a fad or something or other so i think that alone makes it worthy of just taking a look at because there are these opposing arguments and when you've got opposing arguments it can sometimes make opportunities it's interesting you get these battleground stocks from time to time don't you where there's well researched and i find often well argued points on both sides and the that's where that that leaves room for mispricing. I think that's, that's right, Graham. It's often a really good opportunity to, to dig deep into those things. So what did we find with Life360? Just explain the basics of, of the business and, and what it does. So Life360 is a family sharing app. You, are, it, you can give it to your kids or your parents or something like that. And uh, everyone can download it on their phone and then they can track where everyone is. And there's a few other, the the way that it makes its money is that it can charge these uh, premium subscriptions, which have uh, a bunch of different features that are maybe, I I actually don't see the whole point. I've never really used it, um, but I think the people that do use it seem to value them. Things like roadside assistance, and there are different insurance policies attached to it, and Mm. uh, things that you can get externally through third parties, but I guess the app packages them together and makes life a little bit easier. I think they're on the three levels of um, subscription. I think I'm on the middle level. I think they have uh, a free one, which just sort of tracks people, a middle one, which gives some level of notifications when people arrive or leave places and also tells you how fast your P-plate child has been driving and whether they've been using their phone um, and that sort of thing. And then there's the premium premium, which for quite a lot extra, I think, offers the possibility of getting, as you say, roadside assist and all that sort of thing if, if anyone has an accident or hmm. um and, and yeah, sort of uh, uh, yeah, I haven't looked too deeply into all those premium features. But I think that, that that's the difference, isn't it? It's the that, that's the difference from something like Apple's Find My, because Find My you can find where anybody's phone is at anybody at any point in time. But yep. it isn't yet constructed and I say yet, and that's really the key thing for me, isn't yet constructed to provide notifications when people come and go from a particular spot. Mm. And that's what Life360 does. So, you know, you get, I get a little 
notification when each of my children arrives at school so I can just sort of say, oh, that's good, so they're there. You know? I see. And, and that's rather than having to get my phone out and say, oh, well, they're there, you know, and, and, and you know, which yeah. is all feels a bit creepy. It's just a bit, a bit nicer just to get a notification. You get on with your day, child's at school, that's all good. Um, that's so that's what it does. But it seems, sorry, Graham, I'm diving in and stealing all your thunder probably. But <laughs> no, do it. <laughs> it seems to me that that's not an impossible feature for, yeah. um, for Apple to add. And I don't know where Google's at with all of this, with its maps, but, but you know, again, um, wouldn't seem a million miles away. There's also a thing called Snap Maps, which all the kids use to track each other. Um, and uh, Is that and, part of 360 or is that a different? No, no, that's of part of Snapchat. Oh, right, okay. And, um, uh, but I think adults are, are not permitted on that platform. It's for under 18s only or something. Okay. <laughs> right. that's, that, that's what my son told me. <laughs> Only right. for cool people, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Graham, this for me, this already, I can totally understand why this is a battleground stock because it looks like it relies on uh, location technology that is inbuilt in phones. And so this is just a fairly, it sounds like a fairly basic layer of software that utilizes um, um Apple hardware is that is that the base basics of it? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they've got their own. Uh, I mean, they're, they're paying a bunch of software engineers millions of dollars, so they must be doing something behind the scenes. But mm-hmm. the the basic hardware technology is uh, in the phone itself, and they just recently purchased this other company called Tile, which makes uh, of small Bluetooth trackers. Yeah. Well, that's almost been put out of business by that's Apple's right, Fire right. because Fire because yeah. I, I used to be a customer of Tile, and had a few of those on my keys and whatnot. Um, but as soon as Apple came out with its, um, you know, tags. What, what, its tags, mm-hmm. I, I was just straight onto that because they just integrate so much better with with my phone and everything. And that really speaks volumes about about the thing. Um, yeah, I mean, t- Tile. The idea behind Tile was that it was going to get some network effects. So that if everybody was using Tile, we'd all be finding each other's keys and sending alerts, not, you know, within privacy parameters and sending Mm. alerts. Mm. Um, But um, the the trouble with that is, I mean, and that might might work and that might, you know, if you can build that network out before anybody else gets there. But the trouble is that Apple already has a network. I mean, it already has everybody. And so it can just flick a switch and suddenly this functionality has all those network Mm. effects. And to get to a point where you're ahead of Apple on all of this, and the other th- the other thing, just taking it back to Live 360, I just don't see why there's a network effect there anyway. I mean, I, it wouldn't matter to me a fig if um, anybody else was using Live 360. You know, mm. I still get the same notifications when people yeah. arrive at a certain place. There's with, with with tiles, it's slightly different with the t- you know Apple tags because. People do, you know, if someone wanders past your keys in the which you left at the gym or something, then it yep. then it would sort of find them without that person who wandered by knowing. Yeah. Um, and so there's a network effect there, but for Live 360, I don't I don't see that. There's there's economies of scale and the software development and all that. Um, but I'm would not you not sure say that there's a small internal kind of network effect where once your family is all on it, you're less likely to have to go to every kid and change their uh, well, once, yeah, yeah, I mean, but that's four or five people. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty. It just makes it a little bit more stickier, though. Yeah, I mean, look, what I think what's sticky is that once people are using it and they're comfortable with it and they they know the interface, then you know you yeah. you, you do need a reason to change. Um, but uh, that's pretty small compared to you know a telephone network and you know I mean a, a full on network where you, you you have to be on it to to make any use of it. <clears throat> so Graham, tell us about the uh, the customer size and the revenues being generated. It sounds like um, they've made somewhat of a success of this already, and it's particularly potent in the US. Is that right? Uh, that's where most <clears throat> sorry where most of their users are. Uh, and that's probably going to be where it stays and where its kind of homeland is. Their goal is to make it much more international. But, mm. uh, yeah, I just don't buy it. Maybe I'm now a little too biased, so I can't give both sides of the story. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I do not. I would not be betting on this company being around 10 years from now. Uh, just give us a... Just, 
Well, what's what's the what's the user numbers and and when, what's the revenue that they're getting from those users? They make around 100 million, I think 112 million or so uh, mm. US dollars at the moment. Uh, most of that is from US customers, but they do have some international revenue, okay. uh, including Australia. Uh, and we're talking, are we talking hundreds of thousands of customers or is it millions? Uh, they've got around the... 33 million that are actually using it. Most are just on the free version, but yeah. uh, there is a small set that use the premium features and it's that little group that are making the that are generating all the revenue yeah well that's quite extraordinary 33 million people are already using this thing that i'm i'm very surprised by that if you had asked well yeah if i had given you a guess earlier on it would have been a lot less a lot less than that so a, a order of magnitude less than that so that that surprised me why do you have any theories about is this just very successful marketing is it word of mouth um what how have they gotten so many customers so quickly yeah, I do think that it's it's partly word of mouth, and they seem to be well liked by their customers. Mm. So, and there's also the that feature that once one person signs on, there is a little advantage to getting the rest of the kids, then mum and dad, then like the grandparents or whatever. They're all on board as well, so mm. it can spread. Getting each additional customer can sometimes bring five customers, so it does have a that ability to grow pretty quickly. I, I... And it was also oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say perhaps that's the network because um, you know you you hear about it at the school gate, really. You know, so yeah. so yeah, that's right. That's what that's mm. where uh, you know effectively at a sports you know at a game a match. Um, I some another parent mentioned it to me, and I'm like, oh, well, okay, uh, I'll have a look at that. And 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 I guess once you get a critical number of people using it, you know, then then it becomes the thing that's talked about, and you know, so you hear hear a bit about it. Um, yeah, right. And I wonder also whether, because it's based around family safety, uh, anything that kind of starts triggering that kind of safety thought process, it's probably going to lend itself more to word of mouth because you need that trust up front to be able to want to actually use it. You don't want to download an app that's unreliable or something if you're trying to figure out if your kids are home. Yeah, I would would say most parents that I know, I would say, yeah, I mean, look, I haven't talked to them all about it, but my guess is that most of them would have heard of Life360. Most mm-hmm. of them with, yeah. with, with um, you know, um, secondary school age kids, teens. My experience with apps as a business generally, and I know we can, you know, Facebook is an app, but it's, it's a lot more than, than an app. But uh, my experience with apps as a, as a business generally is that they, they do – lend themselves to fashion and fad they come in and out of favor and i i wondered graham if you have any thoughts on that whether um whether this might be one of those businesses that um that people keep on their phone for some time until something else comes along um apple is the most obvious competitor and what happened with tile is is quite instructive for live 360 but the the user base is large and maybe that offers some protection well, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I think that's the big threat to them is that they, it can look sticky now. I think they always report, management like to talk about their uh, user retention rate as being close to 100%. Mm. Uh, once someone starts using it, they keep using it month to month. Mm. But I think that's an illusion that this can change in a heartbeat. If a slightly better app comes out, if Apple releases a new feature or something like that, you could suddenly see the users go down 90%. I, I also, so. um, I, I'm not I'm surprised by that churn number because, um, I mean, maybe it just hasn't been going for long enough because, you know, it's a bit like, um, we've talked about this before, Gaurav, with the... Um, baby um, formula. Ba- ba- no, well, yeah. um, baby formula, but also um, the, mm. the baby uh, retail. What, what's the retail? Oh, baby bunting. Uh, baby baby bunting. Yeah, yeah. Where you have to win your customers you know, a whole bunch of new customers. Your customers are only with you for a few years, and yeah. and then you have to win win a whole new sort of cohort. Yeah. Uh, yeah, all the time. I mean, the churn rate. Most people, if 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 really the the sweet spot is teenage kids, and and it's hard to imagine that adults mm. are really going to be wanting to track their adult, ch- you know, <laughs> track <laughs> track adult children. I don't think that. I wonder how many of their customers be... are spouses tracking one another. Well, but you you have to agree to it. I don't think smart. Yeah, oh, well, right, sorry, okay. that's your point. I mean, I don't suppose spouses really want to be. Yes, that, that's I mean, right. look, that's I don't, right. anyway. I mean, the point is that it's it's sweet spot. I think very definitely teenage kids, where you want a degree of of um, knowledge about where they are, but not to be too intrusive, sort of thing. 
Yeah, the, uh, the reason I um I bring up baby formula, I know it sounds like an outrageous comparison to make, but with the baby formula, my view, because I was going through, uh, I had very young children, sort of sub two years old, when that whole infant formula craze was happening, uh, when the white cord craze was happening. And my experience was that um, uh, the mother networks actually um, seed the idea of what's the best formula. But um, every cohort actually has a different idea about what's the best formula. So I, th I, th I thought we were going through a bit of a fad for A2 milk where all the mums were recommending A2 milk. Um, but the next cohort coming up after that would have a different idea. You know, goat's milk is the best thing. And then everyone would take mm. goat's milk. There was um, every cohort, um, because um, there are so many, so much word of mouth and, and so much opportunity for, for networking amongst mothers groups. But it's uh, just the natural, ch the natural churn, isn't it? There's a natural churn. And then, a, and then also, as you say, that word of mouth um, yeah. causes the, whatever the latest thing is to spread quite quickly. And I wonder um, if that's exactly what's happening here. You've got um, a cohort or maybe uh, two cohorts where everyone's on this app, but the next cohort that comes along, they might choose something different. And whatever that, that, that cohort chooses, everyone is going to jump on that thing. Cause as yeah. you say, um, JC, the the way this thing spreads is at the school gate um, but, when you when you hear about it. But even if it's not a case of of people switching, even if it's just a case of the new app winning new well, that's people, right. that's the, right. the, that's, peop that's the people, it. the current people you've mm. got are going to roll off within five years. Yes. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's you've got to keep winning that new group, and that's a, a difficult. It's not like a bank where you get someone, you know, you know, yeah. in their in their teens or whatever, and and then you've got them for life. Um, or toothpaste know, is the other example. Toothpaste. toothpaste yeah, once but, someone picks yeah. a toothpaste, what? Yeah. Uh, what you, you is? How often do you change it? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I actually got off cold coke, and I'm an Oral B user, and I will oh, never. Man. I just don't switch. I, I will never switch. I couldn't imagine using Oral B. I just like. I don't like one company having eighty percent of the market for something like toothpaste. <laughs> I did it for, for for activist reasons, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and they're it, just so. Anyway, this is not really about toothpaste, yeah. but uh, <laughs> no. But it's a, it's a. That's a very very good point. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I think that's where Life three sixty and 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 the infant formula and the baby buntings and and other things where they've got a, there's a small sort of window that they they, they struggle perhaps because they've got to keep winning that new um, cohort. I think that that's actually a very difficult thing to un unravel, and we need to be aware of it. Is that sometimes when you're looking at businesses and the metrics look so good, it's not really how it's what the thing to focus on is not so much how good are those metrics is just how sustainable are they and um and small insights like that um jc about how it gets it's sold and 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 how the the user base actually grows i mean those things are important zero is another good counterpoint to this because in australia anyway the way zero gets distributed is via accountants so when um zero um convinces one accounting group or one accounting firm to take its software you, that generally runs through the in, entire accounting network uh, all the clients use the same thing uh, and so to switch you actually um you know you individual customers aren't usually going to switch until their accountants say okay you look i've got something better maybe you should try this um whereas uh, you know th that's a much stickier product um whereas this uh, i i question how sticky this product actually is and i think jc's point about eventual churn is a good one uh, i wouldn't buy this guys i'm surprised i'm surprised so many people we know and respect own this stock actually nathan and i had lunch with um with a fundy friend of ours um many people probably guess who it is actually and uh, and he was speaking about this um this stock and um you know my impression then was pretty much as it is now and that's disinterest well, I don't know the, uh, the the valuation. I mean, the the there's every chance, um, you know, that someone like Google says, "Well, we could either spend a couple of years developing yeah. all this, or we yeah. just buy it." I find with these high growth high software stocks, though, you want to get the business right first, and the valuation. If you're right about the business, the valuation probably you can afford to be a bit off on that and still do all right. But if you're wrong about the business, the valuation is not going to save you. Buying this cheap is not going to help if you got the business wrong. My point is that that Life three hundred and sixty, the technology. I mean, it may have thirty three million users, but how many has Google got? I mean, it may be that this software is much more useful to Google. Google 
Google could make much more value out of this um, than i360 could, can. Mm. Um, I look, that's that, that's just an alternative point mm. of view. So, so in which case, the valuation ought to reflect that because you know <laughs> there, there'll be people looking at it. Um, yeah, and that's that's the other thing is that it's hard it's hard to judge because you can value it either based on its financials and my personal view is that it probably won't ever be profitable in which case what's it really worth if it can never actually churn out more cash flow than it sucks in but uh you can tell how it has a strategic value to someone like google or anyone else who can use all that data that's being generated but if you know the location of 33 million people and this is where actually life 360 got into trouble recently with selling its data to third-party brokers uh which like it wasn't (laughs) disclosing to its users very well so there were lots of parents who were understandably upset this company was telling where their kids are (laughs) yeah i know it was just nuts but anyway they uh that's what they were doing they aren't doing that anymore but but google have that information anyway don't they or um well google might android or whatever i suppose it depends on whether you've switched on your location services or whatever um and maybe, look, I'm I'm guessing a bit now, but maybe Life 360 <laughs> is something that encourages you to do that. And then, yeah, look, I don't know how the data works, but that that is something that could be of value to someone, isn't it? Yeah, hmm. you can tell how knowing where 33 million people are, particularly families and and specific demographics you might be wanting to target for ads or something like mm-hmm. that. That that information is valuable. It's just hard to put a number on it. And also, I, I think if you start if you start monetizing that information, you quickly lose the user base. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No one wants no one wants to sign up for that. I, I'm, I think this is problematic software to begin with. Really, you really want to be very tight about. I mean, trust in this kind of software matters so much. You, yeah, you know, I'm stunned uh, that they that they didn't think through that the implications yeah. of what they were doing because it was only substituting their revenue by like. I think it was 15% or 20% or something or other. Mm. Um, and it risks so, so much more than that. And yeah, it was risking the whole business, basically. Yeah. Wow. Um, it just didn't seem like a great risk reward if like ethical reasons aside. Interesting. All right. Well, it sounds like um, there's no battleground on this talk for us. I think we got a <laughs> unanimous nay on, on Live360. Anything else we want to add? No. What's the next one? <clears throat> All right. Let's move on. Um <laughs> Look, that's I, a bit of I a wanna... nice one. Go on. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's move on to me. It's, it's something a bit more exciting. Uh, well, if you want exciting, then you've got to be talking mining. Look, I apologize again. I know we've been talking mining <laughs> for a couple of weeks in a row, and I don't want to do that. I, it's not, um, you know, I think there's interesting stuff going on, but we how are much, getting... How much have they gone up since we last spoke? It's, it, look, that's, this what, is... that's what I want to Look, know. I'll, I'll admit. Again, or what? <laughs> The first few times I brought it up was, was, was mostly about boasting. But this time, we're just getting so many questions about um, sell strategy and, and should I take profits now when it's gone up this much? Like, when do I sell? And, and um, look, I've been trying to be very slow with changing recommendations. And we have to be very careful because I can't actually give personal advice, as, as everyone knows. And we have to we tread a very fine line there as it is so um so you know we'll, that that's why we haven't i haven't said too much about um uh, about sales and, and selling and um i don't, and, I don't think we tread a fine line though we've done well, personal advice well when, when i'm when i'm sorry i mean when i'm answering those questions um you know i can't tell someone to sell um no, that's yeah right. sorry I, I should clarify yes yeah, when we're answering those questions, we just have to be very, very we, careful. We have to not answer them, unfortunately. Al- yeah. Almost, or, or, yes, well, we almost have to, have to not We have to repeat them. our yeah. general advice is the, yeah. is the point, yeah. Yeah, um, but anyway, look, um, I, I thought I'd, I'd just have a, a general quick update on, on these stocks um, that have been flying. And the ones I'm specifically speaking about is the ones that the ones that were recommended in the uh, commodity, uh, contrarians commodity portfolio. So we're still talking about the two coal stocks, Whitehaven and New Hope, South 32, uh, Woodside Petroleum, and uh, Illumina, and we'll throw in Karoon since that's the other big um, big resource recommendation we have. So there's six stocks, and all of them have really ripped higher. Um, and uh, partly that's because uh, we, we recommended them at, at re- when no one else was interested at low prices, but it's also partly cyclical, and, and it reflects what's happened in commodity markets, but also how 
scarcity premiums have now been built into a lot of commodity prices. And those premiums could hang around for a, a long time. Now, the difficulty with our, um, with our very rigid um, record guides is that like, I can't really anticipate <laughs> security premiums, um, uh, supply squeezes or wars, right? Um, so, yeah, the uh, price the price guide should be some sort of algorithm, sort of formula based on that the changes every, price every hour or something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's it, it is a bit of a difficult one, and, and putting lines in the sand in, a, in such a dynamic situation is is, um, but that's you know we we try that's what we work within, isn't it? Yeah. There are two temptations to fight here. The first temptation is once some people are so thrilled to make money out of a commodity stock that they want to sell it instantly. I'm looking at you, JC. I bet you're that kind of person. <laughs> and often these um, these tr these um, the flows of prices prices being low for a long time, and then being high for a life, high for a long time. It takes a long time for supply to respond to commodity prices. So that's why we see these very long cycles. In commodities, they can last years. This is not like um, agriculture, where this season the price is high. So in a season or two, uh, new supply is planted and comes on market to to um, restore equilibrium to prices. This this takes a long time to restore supply balance. Um, so you, you do get prices staying high for longer than anyone expects. And I suspect for many commodities, we are in that kind of environment. So we want to be slow. Um, when we're selling um, and just act slow generally. There's no, you know, you, when, when you see a bargain, you want to be kind of quick buying it most times. But when you're selling into this sort of um, environment where, you know, you've got inflation, interest rates, supply crunches everywhere, a very muted supply response, you just want to be slow selling your um, gains. And um, the second temptation is to think that you're in some sort of super cycle and that commodities have reached a, a new peak and they're not going to fall for a long time. I think that's dangerous as well. I probably say, I think that's where most brokers are now. Um, I, I'm, I don't recall a more bullish time for commodities um, since the last super cycle, since that, you know, 2008 China is going to grow forever kind of cycle. Um, it, it's become the, the consensus trade. Everyone wants to buy commodities. Um, all these stocks are marching higher and everyone thinks they're going to march higher still. Now, to me, that sort of signals it's probably time to start thinking about trimming position sizes now. So um, keep an eye on the website. I, I am going to start um, start issuing a couple of uh, uh, trim. We don't. We, we, this is the thing we can't we can't say trim your position size in official record. It's either buy, hold, or sell. So you might see some sell records. And I, I would just uh, um, I would ask everyone to just um, act with nuance um, and act slowly. Uh, you know, I don't think for most, any, none of those stocks that we've talked, spoken about, you know, the, those six stocks, they're all incredibly well run. Um, and I said this at the time of the article, usually in the last cycle, when I recommended resource stocks, they were almost always crappy businesses with bad balance sheets and poor capital allocation. And we were buying them because they were cheap and no one loved them. And this time, we're actually recommending really good miners with excellent balance sheets, with excellent management. And we can afford to behave a bit differently this time because the underlying businesses and management is so much better. So, um, yeah, so just want to say, keep an eye on the, on the website. Um, and um, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not ignoring questions. I haven't forgotten about them. I just think we want to be a bit slow when we're acting on these things and, um, and I'll slowly introduce um, some cells um, as I, I think the time is near. I think the thing, the thing also to remember is the, is the, um, the maximum recommended portfolio weighting. I mean, these things have gone up quite a lot. So if you, yep. if you've gone beyond that, then that, that itself should be some encouragement to, that's a good point to trim. And, and the, the trimming of stocks is really encompassed within, I mean, when we say sell, that generally means it's time to get out completely. completely. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. I mean, so, so trimming is, you know, we, we, we might well be still saying hold a stock, but that doesn't mean saying, you know, hold every single share you bought at a tenth of the current price. That's right. You know, I mean, if, if the thing's gone up a lot and uh, it's now the position size is much greater than it, than it was, then, um, you know, some some recycling of profits into other ideas is, is always a good idea, I think.
Yeah. I, I, for me personally, um, I have a, a overweight position in coal and I'm finding that quite difficult to deal with because they've gone up a long way. They are producing the largest dividends I have ever seen in, in from my portfolio. Um, so there's a great temptation to hold on. So, so here's my question. Is yeah. your weighting now bigger than it was um, a year ago? Yes, it is. Significantly and larger. Are the okay. prospects for those stocks better than they were a year ago? Yes, I would say yes as well. Oh, you, oh okay. Well, there you go. That's, yeah. a, that's all right. <laughs> I was like, expecting you to go, oh, no. But, then... <laughs> but those, are the, those are good questions to ask, Jason. Well, I think those I think, are. Yeah, no, that's, that's right. the thing, isn't it? That's the thing, yeah. quite often when a stock's mm. gone up, <clears throat> you know, it's a bigger position of your portfolio in your mm. portfolio, and yet some of the value has already been realized. And so it's not, you know, and you end up holding more in a less – um, uh, you know, good opportunity. So, I mean, I think that's the balance you've got to try to work out. I mean, it's you don't want to be chopping and changing too much because you end up giving all your money to your broker, but um, and the taxman. Um, mm. But uh, you know, when, when things move a long way and the portfolio weightings change and the value changes, the value equation changes. It's it's you know, even if you're not selling out completely, you know, you've got to address that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, um, just to prove that this isn't only about commodities, I just want to spend a few minutes on Solpats as well, if that's okay, gents, because um, I we don't write about Solpats all that often. But if you look back through our long, long history, Solpats is a constant. There are so many upgrades of this of this business um, over the last 12, 15 years. Yeah, we've um, done well with it. And we've done really well with it over time. But, you know... You, you could have just bought this thing at almost any time and just held it and you would have done okay with it as well. Um, and, and that's kind of the point I wanted to make in this in this latest article I wrote. I, I refer to Solpats as a um, instant portfolio and it reminds me a bit of, JC, you suggested it was a bit like a listed investment company and I, I think it, that's hard to refute, but I just think it's a little bit different to that. I think of it almost like a listed private equity company. Because um, you're you're buying really the capital allocation skills and the track record of management, and you you just rely. Well, how on much them. of the portfolio is listed, and how much is unlisted? Uh, a decent amount is unlisted, actually, and a growing. The 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 important thing is that a growing portion of the portfolio is now unlisted. So, we're probably it's probably a seventy thirty split so far, JC, between listed and unlisted. But they're allocating more and more capital into the unlisted part, and they've spoken about growing the um, the private equity portion of their portfolio and the debt and property portion of their portfolio. And what they want to provide is is a wholly diversified portfolio for investors to access in one go. And the idea should be that you, that they've earned the trust of investors to be able to just buy that stock and hold it for a long, long time without really having to worry about. Um, dividends being chopped or the management making crazy decisions, which I, I fully would be shocked at if that happened in this business. So, um, you know, here's here's one company that that is an instant portfolio, and I, I think you can add a couple of others on that list. Um, Infratel, which is a, a former Biorec, um, is similar um, instant portfolio, but it does bleed a massive fee over to its manager Morrison's and that's the biggest downside. That's what probably where where Solpats is better. They just don't bleed those fees. Um, and West Farmers is probably the other one, which um, I think um, Well West if, Farmers you're seventy percent bunnings really and more of value. I mean the va value yeah. of West Farmers is probably, you know, I don't know, eighty, eighty, ninety percent made up. But the company money. you buy today could be quite different in five years time. Uh, and you don't really know that. So you, you are buying the expertise of, of the rest of it would have to do very well. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say I'm, I'm not sure I would include West Farmers on that list. Well, think about what it was I, five I, I years ago, JC. We had uh, we had Coles. Well, we had Coles. So, so they're demerged girls. So yeah. so that was so it was Coles and Bunnings. Were yeah. the two. But um, so if they demerged Bunnings, it would look very different for sure. Yeah. But, um, but I think otherwise. That will otherwise, to chop and change. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's they do. important. Yeah. And, and they could they could build i mean they just bought api and they've got aspirations yeah. in that healthcare uh, healthcare area so and i mean I they could Lithium build up is going to be areas. very big over yeah. time as well yeah. uh yeah so that that that's one but um but i think that's the way to think about um soul it's a capital allocator i suppose and that's and that's, that's what it. you're saying about soul yeah. yeah which is 
fair. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah, look, just things like um, earnings per share and and uh, even to some extent, really, the, the valuation, unless it gets really crazy. I mean, I know I've put a sell on it a few times, but um, it's really to free up um, cash for other ideas. And, and I, I think there are a couple of times where it's looked a bit extreme. I think anytime it gets up to 1.5 times net asset value is generally the time to sell. Anywhere at or below 1.2 times net asset value, I think is a time to buy. That's the general rule of thumb. It's currently sitting at 1.3 in perfect hold territory i think that's that's fine be you know i spoke about being lazy with with resources at this point of the cycle this is a stock where sloth is always rewarded and you want to permanently be lazy with it <laughs> i suspect jc the next stock we're going to talk about does is not that does not reward laziness at all oh i think it, absolutely oh maybe, maybe it does okay. oh absolutely rewards laziness Jeez. let's get to if, it if you'd have bought technology one oh, in, i see what you're in saying 99 okay. yeah, and yeah. being lazy with it you'd be <laughs> um you'd be on cloud nine no um, you're quite right i i i do i detect a bit of regret in that um in oh i never looked well. at it in 99 but i um i looked at it in um 2014 at two dollars and 62 cents um Ooh. And uh, and turned it down. Was Flat, it too expensive, JC? Yeah, oh yeah, it was on. A P, it was crazy, wasn't it? And what's like it at seventeen oh. or eighteen or something ridiculous <laughs> like that? Um, I look, I can't remember what it we was would on, jump but, over um, each other to get uh, to get that stock at a PE of seventeen or eighteen, wouldn't we? We'd I look, throw uh, anyone I, to the floor. I'm sure it was on a higher PE. No, I'm joking, <laughs> but but it was. Um, uh, look, it's it's gone up four plus times since then um, in eight years, uh, which is pretty good going. In fact, it's pretty much 15% a year. The, um, I mean, that's, they've, I don't know whether they manage the business and I that way, I suppose they do because it's, you know, they're just slow and steady in terms of the way they develop it and in terms of the marketing they do and they don't want to digest too many customers at once and sort of, you know, they, they're very, very, um, slow and steady well not slow i mean 15 percent a year but they they're relentless at that rate um have been i think even since before the flow um you know and they've uh just grown and grown and grown and every time you look at the stock you think well it looks a bit pricey but then it, it if it 15% a year is doubling every five years right so that pe <laughs> comes down mm. halves every five years and then if it, so, you know, and then uh, the halves again. And then <laughs> so if, if that growth profile is still looks like 15% um, in 10 years time, then you've got a stock, um, you know, you, you, you could argue for the same PE and you've doubled twice. So um, it look, it's a pretty remarkable business. I, I should go back, take a step back and, and say what it does. The thing about mm. technology, so it provides enterprise software um, for mm. running um, all the systems within um, people's businesses or, or any organization, really. And the key point of it, um, the way I think to understand it, is that some organizations differentiate themselves from competitors um, on their internal systems, maybe because they're big enough or because they're specialist enough or because they want to be different. They want to have a, a you know, um, they want to be different from their competitors by having the best systems enable them to operate most efficiently, all of that. Um, banks would come into that, of course, um, but all kinds of other um, uh, private organizations. Um, but there are other businesses where you, you're not differentiating yourself on your um, organizations, I should say, not businesses, um, on your internal software. And indeed, it even makes sense for everybody to be on the same platform really and and examples of that would be local government software so local governments are, are mm. a sweet spot for tech one um healthcare um and education universities differentiate themselves you know according to the courses they run according to the teachers they've got the research they do um, not according to how they um you know manage their what, what software they use to manage their their business or their organize the, the organization and and so for those business for those organizations um it, it makes sense to just be using the same platform because then all of those research and development dollars can go into the one product to make it as good as possible rather than having three or four and having that r d budget split so um so that's where technology one is it it, it provides this sort of single 
line of code. They call it the power of one. It's it's one product where it has has a bunch of modules, but it's essentially one product with one look. Um, and That's you, so important, isn't it, JC? Yeah, that you, yeah. all, a lot of um, software products, and I, th- and I think Hanson is kind of in this mold as well. That they actually have to um, uh, target and modify their product for every single customer, and you, you can't just you just can't get the, the scale. Whereas yeah. um, something like this or a zero, where it sells a single line of code, yeah. just multiple times to multiple multiple customers, you can scale that so beautifully. Um, well, and want... then and then and th- and that's where the cloud comes in. Um, so, yeah. were you were you going to say you, you want to? No, go no. Uh, I was going to ask you about margins, but but th- what you're saying is more interesting. Go on. Um, let's talk about the cloud, and then you, you can mention the margins, which I just think are astonishing in this, in this business. Yeah. Th- so, what I was going to say is, it's just basically made for the cloud. So, when, when you've yeah. got that single sort of software yeah. product, and uh, yeah. the cloud has just come at the perfect time for it. Um, and, They're quite uh, late to the cloud, though, aren't they? Oh, this is a this is a latish transition. Oh. Uh, I don't know about that. They just haven't pushed it. Okay. So, I mean, they were they they started developing the cloud product um, ten odd years ago, or started rolling it out. I think ten odd years ago. Um, but they've got these sort of I don't want to call them lazy, but you know, slightly perhaps slow moving um, customers. <laughs> um, you know, in local government. I don't think anyone would education. begrudge you calling local government lazy. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so, so they. Um, you know they don't want to sort of push them. They've got they so they buy a, 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 some software that's installed on premise and they're very happy with it and they've got support for it and it does fine. And that's the whole point. That's what Tech One gives to customers. They give this set and forget sort of thing. So they don't want to be saying, oh, actually we, we you know you've got to get onto this. Um, but they've finally said that they're going to switch off support for the on premise product um, in uh, um, 20, uh, 2024. Right. So everyone's got to shift over to, and I think that they've done, they've they've given people so much warning, and they've held their hands, and I think they they've they've done a good enough job at explaining. I mean, it's a cheaper, it's cheaper for them, so they're saving money. Um, it's cheaper for them and better margin for Tech One. I mean, this is the power of the cloud, um, hmm. and uh, I think the it, it bears some thinking about actually when you think about the cloud and what that means for a business like this. Um, with all its customers, um, you know, everything's hosted uh, um, up in the cloud and uh, through huge data centers. And, um, you know, every time a customer does something, you know, at an organization, that, that gets sent, that instruction gets sent over the internet to the, to the cloud, to the, to the software that's sitting up on, in, in, in a data center somewhere. So all those customers sending all those instructions, all those employees, and in fact they're going to roll it out now. They're talking about um, what's the what's the three-letter acronym? Um, they're calling it DXP technology, which is um, uh, so it's going to be um, the the local government, the ratepayers are going to be able to interact with the software um, and students at universities. So there's thousands more people interacting and sending messages to the cloud. I mean, it's quite phenomenal. And, um, you know, you need some really robust technology to to do that. And uh, so they, they, they've they've got a very strong reputation and they're, they're now improving. I mean, they've got a very strong position in Australia and New Zealand. Um, they're They've had a bit of a slow start in the UK, but they're now getting some good momentum in local government, um, and uh, there's what, what, reasons for optimism with the education market over there as well. This was something I wanted to ask you about. One of the reasons I don't own this and never has it, it it's not so much the price that puts me off. Um, I I think that's okay. I'm, I'm okay with paying a big multiple for a business of this quality, but... It's the it's the you want to have um, a lot of growth if you're paying such a big price, and I've always been skeptical about them succeeding overseas because the idea that they can go and grab these quite conservative, slow-moving customers, you know, councils, um, universities, um, that just seems a bit a bit difficult to for me. I, I would have thought that the the, the protection that um, that Tech One itself enjoys in Australia, you know, servicing these the, these sort of customers, 
its competitors overseas would enjoy similar protections, and they would find it as difficult to break through there as competitors find yeah, breaking but through ex- here. Yeah, but except that they've already got this single line of code, which is very, mm. very well suited to these organizations. Right. Um, and, you know, maybe a slightly different module, whatever it is, but, but you know, they, they can roll it out and keep it's still that single line of code so they have that those economies of scale already but but you've hit the nail on the head this was this was my concern in 2014 um and this was my right. concern so I'm about 10 we, years behind you is that what yeah, you're saying no well, no 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 <laughs> i mean you know this is this is the obvious concern i think for this company is that you know there are limits to its growth it's got to where's it going to go once it's signed up all the local governments and once it's got the whole of the um, uh, Australian market, it's got to start pushing overseas into more difficult, and it, it's harder to see how well it does in those environments. But it is now getting some momentum in the UK. So, right. the, the, and the UK market, they reckon, is three to four times bigger. It's currently, I don't know, five to ten percent of the revenues. Um, and uh, but they think it can be three to four times bigger. So there's there's a lot of growth over there, and that's before we even think about the US, which they could eventually go to. Mm. Um, but also, uh, I think I've been um, uh, unduly uh, negative on on the potential for expanding within the current user base. So, right. you know, the local governments and the healthcare and the education, they've, they've, they've still got further, more clients to win in those areas. Um, but also what they can do what software can do for for these companies is increasing all the time and 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 the user you know the dxp technology i was just talking about getting the students onto it the ratepayers that's just that those are examples of how the utility of this software can improve and they they can charge more for that over time hmm. um even if the the cloud software you know is a, is a, it, it's well it's a bit cheaper but the, but clients tend to use I think the average is seven modules, whereas on-premise clients used five, so they pay more um, but get more value, and you know, so the whole thing um, there, there's growth, and 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 they make better margins from the cloud project product mm. as well, and they can keep mm. making better margins as it as it grows. Um, so you know, I think that the runway uh, is longer than I had anticipated, but unfortunately, the markets. <laughs> ahead of me on all of that um and that's why the pe is where it is at about 50 um and it's it's the the, the pe is um slightly lower than uh um so they they capitalize a bunch of their r&d spending which is which is fair because you know it's definitely investment and growth but it does slow down the arrival of the cash and so you know that means that the pe if I mean put it, if they expensed all the P all the research and development, the P would go up to about seventy or something, which would be in line roughly with Altium. Right. Look, I think um, Altium's a hold at the moment, not quite a buy. Um, I, and I think I would probably at, at a dollar for dollar, I'd probably prefer to own Altium than this. But um, but this comes close. Um, it's a very good business. But but if we're not going to buy it, then you know we'd want it a little bit cheaper, below ten dollars, probably more like nine. It's currently at eleven something. Yeah, it's not it's not miles um, away, is it? No, but I mean this is the problem we've had with it. We've always wanted it. A yeah, just a little cheaper, bit cheaper. Just yeah, ten percent yeah. cheaper. Give us mm. that extra margin of safety. Yeah. Um, and uh, so look, we're going to keep watching it, but there's no point. And 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 look, it's not a million miles away, but but there's no point in us. Um, uh, putting it, making, putting it on the formal coverage list because it, um, you know, it's a pretty steady moving beast. Um, it doesn't need too too much coverage, but uh, it's Jeez, one you know, certainly to keep from the inside, you'd never know that Breville and Tech One weren't covered because I've, I've heard you talk about both these stocks so much, James. That I feel as though these are your your pet stocks that you'd you'd love to get on that. Oh, look, I'd love them, but at, you know, at the right price, you know, yeah. and and they've never quite got to the right price, whereas other stocks have, and so they're on the buy list, uh, they're mm. on the coverage list, but they mm. may since have become holds. I mean, bear in mind that if we don't, if we're not covering a stock, that doesn't mean it's a sell for sure. It just doesn't mean it. It just means that it's never quite got to that buy point. But we're keeping a close eye on them, and and look, this is why we're um, updating on them. You know, well, this is the first the first time in three years we've written about Tech One, but Breville mm. we've written about. Um, yeah, uh, rest a assured. Times in the last both stocks are on yeah. JC's mind all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, um, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll be updating. I'm sure on Tech One um, once every year or two, um, just not every time there's a result, probably.
Right. Um, Graham, is this one you've ever looked at, ever bought, or been tempted by? Uh, I haven't looked at it in detail, but uh, I've had a, a quick look, and I think that it reminds me a little bit of GenTrack, which is what concerns me also, <laughs> is that it's shift to the, it's shift to the cloud. Uh, I can see how that improves margins. It's got all these positive things for customers and the company itself, but it could also just increase that industry churn and that mm. stickiness that the company enjoyed initially is going to decrease as it moves onto the cloud. Uh, so I think that it just changes the dynamics a little bit that makes, I don't know, that, that can just throw up surprises over time. A competitor would be more easily able to pull yeah, that's customers fair. away from it. So. Yeah, it's very it's a very easy switch for them to you know um, get someone onto the cloud product and and that that's the warning, isn't it? Because it's very easy for someone with a similar product. But I think they have confidence in their own product. Yeah, well, enterprise and that, software and that's the, famously um, sticky, right? Yeah, but as Graham says, I think less so in the, in the cloud. But you know, if your product's good and people have no reason to leave it, then uh, and and that's you know they have. Um, historically, the churn rates like one percent or something. I mean, they they speak of how they hardly ever lose customers, and mm. but then mm. so did Gentra. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, look, I think that, that they're very confident of moving ninety five percent plus. Um, I think Gentrack's problem was a lot. Of, so many of their customers just went bust in the in the scramble after deregulation in the UK. Yeah, in the UK, they yeah. don't, I'm not sure they actually lost so many business as just the customers went went to zero yeah That's well it was that there was that there was that business they bought over there wasn't it and um yeah uh, there were huge there was huge optimism for it and it ended up not quite yeah but graham graham's the expert in that but um but tech one i think um you know they're they're, they're very confident i mean look if they slip up and lose a couple of clients and maybe that provides the opportunity in a year or two's time because i think underlying um you know it's a very strong business Nice one. Well, I'm glad to hear more about it. It's one that I've kept an eye on for some time. And like you, JC, never really uh, been comfortable in pulling the trigger on it either. But um, good to hear you. Keep an eye on it. Gents, um, I think we better wrap it up there. That's a, it's a lot of podcasting for one day. And we have other things to do, don't we? <laughs> Having lunch and things like that. <laughs> um, JC, that was um, fantastic. Thanks so much for your time today. Always a pleasure. Graham, always nice to hear from you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Gaurav. And for everyone else, thank you for listening.